Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Hey everybody, welcome to One-Shot Wonders with Adam Phillips. And I'm Adam Phillips. Um, I'm here today with a special guest, and today it's the delightful Cardi Angelo, who is my partner in the Defenders Dialogue with Car and Adam podcast, and also the owner of Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks and Northridge, California. Hey, Car, good to see you. Good good seeing you, or not seeing you, as the case may be. Right. <laughs> We're talking. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a little weird. This is a little different, Car, because I don't have any notes, <laughs> usually. <laughs> That's right. Usually on Defender's Dialogue, uh, we start off every episode with my notes on the last episode where I'm going like, oh, you know, I was thinking about that thing, and here's what I think. Well, I have some notes on previous episodes of One Shot Wonders. Really? No. Let's have it. (laughs) I I enjoy it immensely, though. Oh, thank you. Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, you want to add something to that? No, you know, I think the recent one was the Scott McCloud Destroy, and that was a lot of fun. That was. Listening to Scott McCloud talk about comics is never not really, really interesting. And rewarding, you know? Yeah. It's funny because I just found out then that he had also done another uh, YouTube series called Cartoonist Kayfabe, which I like, also about Destroy. Oh, really? And he didn't even mention it. Yes, he just was like, sure, I'll be happy to talk about Destroy. Anytime, the, anywhere, apparently. In the deep sea of podcasts, you kind of are just presuming the odds of somebody hitting the same podcast in the same relatively short period of time you know, is, is, is unlikely. So for him, it's better get Destroy out to as many places as possible. Sure. And I mean, I was encouraging him. We, you know, we don't have to go on and on about this, but I was encouraging him to do a new edition. Come on, we need a hardcover. Wow, giant size hardcover. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. I don't even know if I have my. Again, probably because of the size, I feel it's one of the things I don't necessarily have anymore, or I don't know where it would be. (laughs) Right next to your copy of the Giant Whammo comic. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, no, I didn't keep that one. No, just kidding. Yeah, I mean, it is in those those large dimensions, and you know. But I remember being really excited buying it in New York. Forget how you know they had it displayed, but again, great book. Loved Zot. Loved all that stuff that he was doing. Loved understanding comics and just kind of mixing that up all together and. And my, my favorite thing, I'll say this, because I, I loved it so much, I was like an hour later, the next day, I was talking to someone about it in the store and explaining that thing of how he put the the sound effect was so, the, the, the rock covered up the sound effect, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was incredible. You know, like things like that were just sort of like, that's a guy who is really, because even doing this thing that he conceived as kind of just the biggest, dumbest fight ever, it's filled <laughs> with all those kind of great, tidbits that really show an intuitive understanding of how comic storytelling works uh yeah definitely and and sort of stretching those boundaries 
But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're here today to talk about Marvel Premiere 31, which I'm sure everyone remembers immediately. You all go, you all smack your head and go, oh, of course. It featured the man brute called Wood God. <laughs> There's one person out there who said, damn it, I had the 3D man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll start where I usually start with these things and say, Carr, you wanted to talk about this. When I started this podcast, you immediately put dibs on this issue. So why would God? What's, what's so special about this comic for you? Well, when you were talking about one shots, it immediately said to me all these great characters that Marvel or DC you know, would introduce, whether it was in like first issue special or Marvel premiere or Marvel spotlight, this whole idea that they were trying out, you know, uh, and piloting characters as it were. And it was a lot of fun as a kid, but it was also always frustrating because if you, you would sort of fall in love with something and you'd never know if you'd ever see that character again. And I think that's kind of, to me, the heart of one shots and mm-hmm. would God, the story did, you know, really appealed to me and the character really appealed to me at the time Two of my favorite creators, Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen. And in yeah. terms of what the story is essentially about, I mean, you read a lot of, you know, you know, nerve gas stories come and go. You read a lot of nerve <laughs> gas stories, but you never forget your first nerve gas story. So true. That is hilarious. It's true, though. I have said some things about Bill Mantlo in this time period where he was the fill-in king, and, you know, his stories weren't always the greatest. But truthfully, when he had an idea, when he had something he really wanted to sink his teeth into, he could do some fantastic stuff. And, of course, later he went on to great, great runs on the Hulk and on Rom Space Night and things like that. But, yeah, this story has a lot of big ideas in it, and it's it's really interesting. So it came out in um, April 1976, only a few months into Keith Giffen's career in the comics, I think Mantlo hadn't been around much longer, although, you know, he probably was doing like some kind of assistant work or, or production work or something in Marvel before he started writing. Because I know there was t- times where like he was an, a colorist or something, you know, clearly right. pinch hitting for somebody. Everyone but, was a uh, colorist at one time or another. It sure seems like it. I, I feel like I might have been. Um, And it's really funny to me also, this comic in particular, that it starts off with a cover by Jack Kirby. Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy. I know I've mentioned this before to you, Carr, but I'll I'll say it for the people who are listening out at home, that there are a few things in comics I like better than Jack Kirby's many mid-1970s Marvel Comics covers for characters he knew nothing about. (laughs) This is just going saying, hey, call Jack, you know, and honestly, I was looking at this and where it falls in Marvel premiere. And I also had this weird theory that they didn't that they assigned him 31 because he did the covers for 29 and 30 because they were Liberty Legion. Oh, yeah. so yeah, that makes of, a little more sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have Captain America. They're not Captain America. They have Captain America type characters on them. Yes. And then they just <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> Throw old Kirby. Or like someone's, someone thought, oh, Liberty. Well, because they did two issues, which was sort of yeah. rare. Those things. Sometimes there'd be three issues. Sometimes there would be like a, a, a trilogy of something or other. You know, but it, it does kind of, you know, that was the only thing I could kind of come up with is how did he get this assignment? Someone just kept saying, 
Kirby does the covers for Marvel Premiere these days, I hear. <laughs> that makes a certain amount of sense. And actually, it's it's funny. I'm looking at um, comics.org and the page for Marvel Premiere, and he did the cover for issue 26 with Hercules and right. the two Liberty Legions and this one. And then I think he did these covers for – no, he did one of the 3D Man covers, yes. not the other one. So And maybe what if but, uh, is, is, is 3D Man issue 32? 35 and 36. Okay. 32 is an even more obscure character than Wood God. It's Monarch Starstalker. Oh. Man, I would have loved to have seen the Jack Kirby character. <laughs> the Jack Kirby cover on Monarch Starstalker. I, I need a copy of that comic. Oh, I've got and, one for uh, you. I think I've had one floating around here that I put aside for you. Oh, great. Yeah. One of these days, I want to ask Howard Chaikin if he would like to come on and talk about that or something else. That he, did a, he did a few one-shots, but I haven't gotten to asking him yet. Anyway, but with Wood God... It's know, a really heavy Bill sell had, on the cover. Yeah, oh, that's right. I forgot to even mention that the captions are... I mean, I kind of get why, because this is a really unfamiliar character. He doesn't look like a superhero. He looks like a creature out of mythology, if you can tell at all, because the way he's positioned on the cover, he don't re- you know, he looks like a furry guy with no shirt. Right. It's hard to tell what's going on. But there's three captions, and the first one says, The House of Ideas does it again! All out action in the mighty Marvel manner. And then there's another caption that says, The most bizarre superhero of all. And then at the bottom it says, You must read A Birthday Nightmare. Yeah, heavy, heavy sell there. Yes, and especially when the sto- the actual title of the story is simply Birthday. And they've pumped it into Birthday Nightmare. Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen, only a few months before, had done that two-part story in Marvel Preview magazine, The Sword and the Star, which I remember looking really nice. I don't remember really reading it, although the second part is remembered for being the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon. Rocky in that story. Is it? Yeah. Okay, I didn't remember that. Uh-huh. And it's really interesting looking. Like the there's it's sort of Steranko esque and it's Yeah, Barry Smith. You know, I always thought there's a, like, yeah, a bit of a Barry Smith yeah. influence because it's like science fiction meets fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Here the storytelling's a little more down to earth, but there's still a lot of interesting flourishes, you know. But man. The story has so many big ideas in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and what struck me also at the time, and I, I did I wrote about this issue and a couple other, and I think I wrote about Keith Giffen in general in, um, in, a, in a fanzine like a couple years later, like in 1976 or 1977, that uh, a friend of mine was doing. And it was like an, you know, an essay about like all the cinematic touches that, uh, uh-huh. That Giffen would do, and even like here, you know, the opening page begins with you know, Wood God. We don't know he's Wood God yet. You know, stumbling down a street, but there is, but there's a camera. You know, like like uh, Eisner would do. There's actually, you know, you can you you are perceiving right. the story as if there's a camera, as opposed to in most comic books where perspective can shift every panel, so you don't really have the idea that there's a camera because there'd have to be an infinite number of cameras. <laughs> 
but here you know the camera's in one place and the character is approaching approaching you know the like in a western movie walking toward yeah. toward the camera and it immediately you know brings you into you know who is this character you know wh why uh, what's going on yes holding his head and screaming father so he's he's <laughs> some stuff's going on here for sure and it, it does have that feeling of a western it's like a, a, you know he's in a ghost town yeah then you know he finds on the second page suddenly much more cool looking somehow he you know comes across one guy in the middle of this town who's all alone and saying you know calling him a monster and throwing a rock at him and wood god says you are merely man like other men your ways are the ways of pain and he attack you know attacks the guy and smashes him through a window and he's continues wandering and looking for father yeah. and then we get a, a big flashback which it's really hard to tell i guess this is supposed to be his his sort of remembrance he's not sure if he's remembering it or if it's a dream or what but he's sort of remembering how he was brought to life in this laboratory where this man and this woman are working and you know he's being educated um and out, you know, they bring it, they show them outside, and it's like a um, a farm. So it's sort of you know, you know, it's not the typical Marvel like mad scientist lair kind of thing. It's more of a um, idyllic setting um, where he's like learning to walk, and he's like makes friends with a dog. It's so nice, so nice at first, <laughs> but it doesn't last, and. Wood God continues wandering through this town, gets attacked by a rabid dog, and then remembers again bad things that have happened where, I don't know how he remembers this, because he flashes back to this guy who's sort of looking into the laboratory far, a farmhouse through a window and going, aha, they are, <laughs> you know. Yes, he's having the proverbial flashback of something that he didn't experience. Right, exactly. So this guy is looking in the window and going, I knew it, they're making monsters. They're toying with the Almighty. Let's see who laughs now. And he drives away and goes to a local bar where he starts telling his buddies about what he's seen. And instead of calling him crazy, the, the, the guys, the good old boys in the bar all go like, let's get your pitchforks. And you guys, you get your uh, your torches and we'll head down to the barn there and, you know, we're going to kill us a monster. They literally say, we're going to kill us a monster. <laughs> they like, you know, drag the people out. They sh they shoot Wood God, but it only hurts. It hurts them, doesn't kill them. They drag the people out of the place and kill them. And, and then the guy, one of the, the leader of the mob, smashes a canister that's a glass, of course, not like metal, like it's something sensible, that's full of nerve gas. Why is it full of nerve gas? I don't know. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of the stitching it together. I kind of got the impression that they are well. There's this thing, Tranquility Base, that you know they 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 you know. Oh right. Um, so he's there. David, the father and mother, are there uh, working for Tranquility Base for this military project. I kind of got the feeling that they were there to develop the nerve gas because that's the weapon that the government wanted, but they were diverting resources for their personal pet project pardon the pun of, of, <laughs> of doing this gene splicing thing of creating this kind of mythological human animal hybrid 
Right. I mean, but I don't know that that's really there, but that's how I always kind of read it because it was like good. That the, makes sense. Well, he does say something about he's there to build weapons for the government. You know, they, the the father says that something like that at some point. Yes. I'll tell you something. This comic also has some great advertisements in it. They all they all did back then. That was it. I loved that this this one. The Marvel explosion is here with all these like shots of the Marvel heroes in various panels. Yes. Everybody from Spider-Man to Shang-Chi to Conan. Yeah, all corner corner box style. Yeah. And Dracula's anyway. in there too. It's like I mean, Dracula gets like second billing, you know, between Amazing Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh yes. Anyway, then um we find out that, you know, the people at Tranquility Base headquarters are sort of tracking what's going on here. And you know, this comic has, I mean, between like the subtext, yes, is anti military, pro ecology, the way we said it in the 70s. Ecology, yeah, I love that word. And you know, sort of anti violence, but at the same time, recognizing that it's hard to stop violence without being violent yourself, right? A lot of ideas, yeah. And then and these guys, some, it turns know, out they're kind of they've got kind of like a bit of aim style suits and technology yes. here and they yes they have they have to take off from floater bay three <laughs> and here this is a little caption here which i just thought was funny oh and the guys the captain's name is captain del tremens yeah for some reason he's making a comment on alcoholism i guess i don't know it's weird why what is del tremens oh dts you mean or no what delirium tremens is what oh. DT stands for right interesting I read that somewhere. I mean, I knew it yeah, already. Yeah, from, I mean, that's generally, but I read the other day. Oh, there's a film article I, I came across online just completely by accident. There's like a one page film article about this issue where Bill Mantlo talks about it a bit. Interesting. Well, the under, other interesting thing about it that the, the, the guy who throws the rock at him, who's like the, seems to be the only survivor in the small town of, I think it's Liberty, Mexico. Um, uh, yeah. But the the guy. I mean, for a drunk, he's a very smart drunk because he says, well, whatever happened to everybody <laughs> else didn't happen to me because I was drunk. So there's this like weird suggestion somehow that if you're if you are passed out drunk, the nerve gas isn't going to affect you, uh-huh. which, I, you know, which is a very odd bit of world building. Like, hey, an issue if we ever do get a Wood God series in issue four, that alcoholics <laughs> are immune to the nerve gas is really going to pay off if he was passed out. Was he and the only on the ground? Yeah, right. And he was on the ground. You know, it's like they tell you to get on the floor if in a smoke-filled situation because the smoke rises. So what if the nerve gas rises? I'd almost take that as like a more a logical explanation as opposed to like the alcohol's effect on his body. But like, yeah, I was passed out on the floor. It was all those people running around breathing nerve gas, but... The nerve gas, <laughs> the, the bottom twelve inches of the of, of the atmosphere no, were not affected, right? But yeah, leave they leave Floater Bay three again. These really the things that Kirby also draws on the, on the cover. cover. Yes, so yes, the the people who are supposed to be keeping an eye on the people from what was the name of the group? Tranquility Base. Yeah, right, right. Tranquility Base have realized that something's gone wrong, so they're sending in these kind of sky they look like you know ski jet jet skis rather but they're in the sky of course 
and uh, they're flying down. Like th- th- these are like you know they're like guns and things, don't they? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, they're kind of these personal, you know, transport things. I mean, again, in a little bit, but it is, again, the the weird loop with Kirby is it kind of is Keith Giffen channeling Um, Orion and Metron. It's kind of a combination of Orion's floater thingy and and Metron's chair. It's a two-seater. It's got a backup guy in the, you know, it's like an airplane without covering (laughs) is really what it is and without wings. I mean, it's a pilot and a co-pilot and and as you and you, as you say some sort of ray or blasts shooting out of it but you know but again this is how we get the mighty marvel action in the mighty marvel manner i don't know why they feel like they have to attack wood god i mean they're basically there to like see what happened at the you know at the lab but they see this they see wood god and, and they they saw him on you know on the camera and they're like we got to see what you know What's the deal with this Wood God character? They don't know his name is Wood God, but you know. Well, is um, his name Wood God? The caption tells us his name is Wood God, but I don't think did the parents go call him Wood Wood God? I don't think they would name him Wood God. Throughout the story, he kind of refers to fear and pain as scream. Yes, and and I think the nerve gas too is is the right is is is, rep, is like the physical representation of scream. Right, so at the end he says, "Scream has taken father. Scream will take Wood God." So we are all Scream. So you know he definitely calls himself Wood God. I think it's always a mistake to name your child God. Yes, of any kind. It's a bit of a, oh oh. It's you know what? And on back on page seven, it's a word. These uh-huh. are always tricky to me when a word balloon yep. becomes a caption, because you kind of lose track of who's saying it. So I agree. So David and and mom are watching him play. And, you know, Uh and he explains he was born of a clone graft, a combination of animal and human genes. And then the caption says, we'll just let him alone and see what happens. Watch the Beast Boy become a wood god. Well, you couldn't call him Beast Boy. (laughs) No, they couldn't. They were going to. And then they got a a letter from DC. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Wood God only had this one solo story. Well, at the, and, well, at the end of the story, he knocks the um, knocks like the last guy. I mean, is it Tre- you know he knocks Tremens off his his flying thingy, Tremens sled, sled, I mean, sled. Um, flying chair, and uh, for whatever reason, he seems to be on a solo one or a set or, or the other guy ejected maybe or the other guy ejected or something. Yeah, and he gets knocked off, and it's like they get you know he's got him on the ground, and it's a classic scene of you know the protagonist angry you know, beating the crap out of somebody. But then Tremon says, why doesn't the gas kill you? What's like the difference? What What is it that's special about you? You know, and why are you alive? What in God's name could have fathered a thing like you? And then, of course, that touches Wood God. And again, it's almost like, yeah. you know, Zack Snyder, you know, Martha moment here because it just takes him out of his 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 rage and says, you know, I, what? I thought of it as like um, the end of, Soylent Green, okay, which is not you know only a couple of years before this that sort of moment of like oh my god you did it you know yeah. or Planet of the Apes or something just that really crazy I can't believe this happened and it's like you know what dude cl- splice some genes and cloned a uh, wood god that's not that bad <laughs> yeah no and it's trying to give it a kind of closure of like not a twist ending but it kind of does have that kind of horror story thing of like. The wood yeah. god's going off, and the man left behind, the human left behind, saying, "You know, God help us all." 
Yes. Because now we live in a world where you exist and you're this kind of, you know, monstrosity. I also thought it meant the, and that this technology exists, that this is how yes. far, man, we can go now and how dangerous it all is. Right. Also, that is, yeah, he's, the, he's calling David a madman for doing this in the first place. And that, yes. may, that may be true. Right. I think he I, didn't seem, I think one of the things. He didn't seem mad. No, he seemed, well, I mean, he seemed very reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> with, with a nerve gas lava lamp in the middle of the living room. <laughs> but, yeah. And this does have the classic ending of all classic endings, the end, yeah. question mark? Well, remember, okay, the, the, and I think this is why it's such a piece of the 70s, because remember, I feel like there were two or three. One of them, I think, was Rage, was it called, with George C. Scott? And it's like, remember, there's always the you know movies and things where, you know, oh, no, the sheep with nosebleeds. Like that was the sim- symptom of nerve uh-huh. gas was always sheep with nosebleeds. If you walked into a field <laughs> and the sheep were dead and bleeding out of their noses, it was nerve gas. And there was one where like, yeah, George, isn't that um, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Oh, maybe that, too. Where there's there's like all those dead uh, cattle. Well, the dead cattle is the UFO thing. Yeah. That like, oh, were they dissected oh, okay. or were they somehow. But Rage by George C. Scott was like, I think, I forget if it was a, I don't know if it was theatrical. I feel like it was a a TV movie. You know, you had all those like weird, you know, exploitative movie of the weeks. I vaguely remember, really vaguely remember this one. Yeah, an accidental nerve gas leak by the military kills not only a rancher's livestock, but also his son. And when he tries to hold them accountable for his actions, he runs up against a wall of silence. So that might have been an early nerve gas movie for me. But (laughs) But you know, but it is, but it's also kind of setting up like uh, like a half Hulk, half you know. He kind of gets philosophical, like the Silver Surfer. So it's Mantlo trying to create this that can be this wandering character, which is kind of a common trope in Marvel comics, you know, because you yeah. can take the adventures, and then you have the prota- the antagonist, and you know, Tremens is set up to be a potential General Ross, exactly. You know, is and is he and you weigh whether is he a good guy or a bad guy? I mean, he wants to destroy or dissect or whatever, you know, Wood God for to get all the answers that he would need to get. But at the same time, is he wrong? Is Wood God, you know, dangerous? And I think you you would you look forward into the future of Wood God, hadn't you? Oh well, um, yeah, sure. I mean, a little bit because, I mean, you must remember these too. But this is the only solo story of Wood God, sadly. But he comes back relatively soon in um, a couple of issues of Marvel Team-Up. The only time I think Marvel Team-Up had two issues in a row with the same team-up, Marvel Team-Up 53 and 54, are both Spider-Man and the Hulk. But the first part of that, it says, like, Spider-Man and the Hulk with Wood God caught in the middle. Right. And then also he comes back again. These are all written by Mantlo. Comes, comes back again in Hulk 251 to 253. And I flipped through those online the other day. And Wood God has sort of taken up with a whole sort of little menagerie of freakish animals, kind of like in Sweet Tooth, where they're just like these sort of freaky half animal, half whatever. And he's like their leader. But the whole like story structure has been simplified. It's much more just like, how do we... I've, I've taken up with these these people or these creatures, and how do we keep us all safe? That's pretty much what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, he, keep us safe. He kind of it seems he kind of jumped to the end of where he wanted to go with the character because really the the Marvel team up stories don't really advance the mythology of no. Wood God. It's simply 
makes that that town a, a place for Hulk, and uh, I think Hulk winds up going there because he thinks it's quiet because nobody's there. But of course, Wood God's hiding yes. out there, and that creates a problem. And then Spider Man, Spider Man on his way back from hanging out with the X Men, yeah, right. In Marvel team of annual number one, flies over, sees some commotion or something, and says, "Hey, I'll get out here, guys." <laughs> Yeah, and and that issue is also really memorable. Marvel Team Up Fifty Three. It's the first Marvel Team Up drawn by John Byrne, and I'm pretty sure the first time Byrne draws the X Men. I think it is that, yes. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very- and then Byrne would be on Team Up on and off for like the next I don't know thirty issues or something. Yeah, he does that whole the Captain Britain run and the Ms. Marvel Super yeah. Scroll run. Yeah, yeah, there's some really memorable you know, stories in there. And he really, he really loved drawing the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I always liked artists. This is getting off topic. I know, but I always liked the artists who like could draw everybody in the universe and make them look great. And it was exciting to me when Byrne came along and he was one of those guys like John Romita or John Buscema or Sal Buscema who really could handle anybody and they would just look fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Burn was a real breath of fresh air at that time. One of the questions I always have uh-huh. is why did these series exist? I mean, like, how were they put together? You, you know, I mean, what like Marvel premiere? Yeah, I mean, were they really? That's a great question. I mean, do, and do you know the answer? I mean, is it is it not really? I mean, I know there was, show, you know, the beginning of it is like Showcase and Brave and the Bold. And I understand that was more really testing out concepts for sales. Warlock really was their fireman feral. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, right. No, I know. It's, it's bizarre because, I mean, I was looking at the whole run of Marvel premiere on comics.org here, and it's like, you get a couple of Warlocks, a bunch of Doctor Stranges, a lot of Iron Fist, and then it sort of switches off between character, you know, supporting characters who've never had their own books or, like, different iterations of, you know, like the Legion of Monsters. You take a whole bunch of monsters and put them together for an issue. Liberty Legion, same thing. Right. And then you get some, you know, Wood God, Monarch, Starstalker, 3D Man that are just new ca- concepts. I mean, and were sales ones. figures really clear enough that, I mean, and, and timely enough in, in this period of time, I mean, is it really possible that they could have said, wow, Monarch's Starstalker sold so much, we're going to give him his own series now. I mean, it, it doesn't... It doesn't make... It doesn't... Seem, it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, the traditional wisdom has always been you need, like, three issues to get a sense as to whether something's... Right you know, going to be popular enough and continue to be popular enough. It's not just a one-off it, or it's not just a fluke of some kind. Yeah. Cause you're right. We're, we're only like about six months after Iron Fist. Iron Fist did about 10 issues or so, right. From like my, premiering in issue 15, 15 to 25. Weeks, yeah. Right. So then 26, the one, the one-off start you got Marv Wolfman yeah. as a, he's the editor of this one, I presume. So, I mean, you know, obviously there's no other use for this wood God story, I don't know if there's it was ever if it's stuff possibly I mean again it's written as an 18 page comic so it doesn't seem it's like oh it could have been in a, a magazine it doesn't seem like it's designed for black and white no 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I sometimes think also because every, and we've talked about this before. Everything was just being done in the seventies at Marvel so fast and furious that it may have been that typical like Marvel Wolfman goes, oh my god, I don't have an, a story for the next issue of Premiere. Quick, <laughs> Bill Mantlo, you got any ideas? Why, yes, I've been thinking about this. Go, go, do it. Right, or you've got talent you're trying to keep busy, or again, you said you know this is early in Keith yeah. Giffen's career. Isn't this a great way to pay, you know to pay someone to do a tryout book, but mm. it kind of gets buried in this book where it doesn't really matter, as opposed to what if we gave him a fill in a Fantastic Four and it, it sucks, you know, or something. I, I mean, I, I you know, I, it, it, it's interesting. It's just it, it, obviously yeah. there's some you know you know, but and they had multiple versions of this book. You know, they had Marvel Spotlight and they had Marvel Presents and Marvel right. You know, well, but I, but I will say I don't think they had that much fear of doing a fill-in issue of a regular series and having it suck based on what true. we've read in Defenders. In Defenders, <laughs> some of those have been pretty stinky. I mean, I understand it more in terms of you know the ones that make sense to me are like the two issues of Moon Knight that were in Marvel Spotlight, because here you had an issue a character that was yeah. starring has some visual appeal. They later put him in those rampaging Hulk magazines, you know, yep. that you sort of see their develop. That, that seems to be an active development of that character. And probably those two issues of Marvel spotlight are some of the least interesting, you know, Moon Knight stories. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's always been fascinating to me. Like I understood when DC revived showcase, it was very clear. We're doing three issues of doom patrol to see if that works. Yeah. We're going to do three issues of Power Girl to see if that works. They're going to do three issues. Uh, I, you know, I think they did Hawkman. I forget what came after issue 100. And even the original ones. I mean, Brave and Bold had three issues of Justice League before they felt comfortable. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, Flash, Green Lantern, they, yeah. they all pretty much had like three issues. Sometimes they'd even do, you know, a year later, oh, another three issues. Yeah, they would skip it. Yeah, they weren't necessarily three consecutive issues all the time. Yeah, but I think when you're talking about like a one-off starring the Falcon or Wonder Man, it also may be like they may have had the sense of, well, this you know this character doesn't need to be established per se. You just because people know who he is, right? And those are kind, of, and those I see more as like yeah, tryout stories, and you know, and as you, you know, again, whether you know fill-ins or just kind of like, hey, I I can see doing that assignment just to see if there's extra appeal. I mean, I just, like I say, I don't know if the, um, you know, and again, and maybe really it was trying so many things. I mean, if you go back and really look at the line, you know, at the time, you know, I mean, Marv Wolfman had a series that ran like what, eight issues that was, you know, Skull the Slayer. And it was, uh-huh. you know, it was kind of half lost, half Edgar Rice Burroughs of, you know, a plane yes. of people crashing in some kind of, you know, I don't. Did they go back in time? Were they actually in real prehistoric times? Were they in some kind of? Uh, you may, you may recall. I did not read this stuff. We've, we've, we spent way too much time talking about the skull. Oh, we've already talked about. Well, let's, let's let's not go there again. Well, let, let's. I know Bloodstone. <laughs> I, I remember. I was saying I wasn't going to mention Bloodstone because I know we really went into oh, Bloodstone. Okay. I forgot about. <laughs> but 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 there were a lot of like different types of series they were trying out. So I do wonder if there was kind of an agenda. I mean, again, following the success, I'd say of some of the horror stuff of can, trying to do other uh, other things, you know? Or Roy Thomas saying, I love doing the Invaders. I would love to do a second Invaders. Let's see if Liberty Legion has any 
any heat. Any juice. <laughs> nope. Okay, screw it. We'll go to the other company and do Infinity Inc. Yeah, or and, and All-Star or Squadron. Whatever. I mean, which Liberty Legion really yeah, was yeah. like even that kind of um, thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these were these were great. But, and Wood God, yeah. And then there is that Hulk issue where suddenly they just stumble upon Wood God and like suddenly he's like the yeah. high evolutionary and his story <laughs> his story has advanced. Like the last time we saw him, he was just fighting the Hulk. And now they stumble across him and he's built this whole society. I, I found an article that Brian Cronin, I love Brian Cronin stuff. He does you know, the comic book rumors for comic book resources and things like that. Oh, okay. You know, where someone will say, I know, yeah, I know. His name. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he'll take the story that people heard, you know, that like, you know, Steve Ditko quit because he didn't want the Green Goblin to be Norman Osborn. And then he'll look at all the sources and try and come up with an answer of whether or not the, oh, really? he kind of snopes is it. Yeah. You know, um, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, he always got hundreds of, I mean, he published a book collection of them a while back. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, there, there's, you know, and, and they're, you know, they're really, he, and he, and then he does these offshoot things like, you know, plot lines that were never, you know, subplots that we've talked about these subplots that are set up and never followed through on, you know, like all the, all the Chris Claremont thought balloons that, you know, maybe mystiques my mother nightcrawler thinks, and then they never, you know, go back to that. Um, huh. Although maybe now she is, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but one of the ones he does, he also has, has a theme that he hits called I've been here before in which he examines creators who, take a, an oddball character that they created and keep trying to shoehorn them into later <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. And he, and he uses good, you know, he uses Wood God as, uh, as that kind of thing. And I guess if he was going to bring him back into the Hulk, he, it, it, you'd have to do him and make him less of a Hulk-like character. So making him that kind of like, I've got my own right. little society. You know, I've taken all the gene technology and I've, you know, but the weird thing about that is, and this is what I wanted to say, sorry, I'm rambling. Mm. Um, uh-uh. But this issue, like a lot of issues of these types of stories is not Marvel Universe related at all. Like when you read Marvel Premiere 31, all the places where it could connect to the Marvel Universe, it doesn't. It could have put in a crossover character from another another military character it could have used aim it could have used a shield reference there's so many things it could just do on a you know like like the spider woman obviously i think has a shield reference right in the in the in the her origin um yeah sure or the high evolutionaries nick, nick fury's right on the cover nick, babe right, exactly. <laughs> right so there are stories that they go hey we want to make sure people read this and go it's in the it's in the universe but skull the slayer mm-hmm. pardon the reference again but he didn't crash in the savage land it could have been a savage land story you know yes well that is the weird thing like people feel the need to reinvent the wheel when like you said these guys are like aim why not just make them aim right so i don't know now i understand that wood god did come back many years later in earth x but i i don't know anything (laughs) about that really there's an Earth X Wood God, of course. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think that speaks to sort of Alex's Ross, Alex's Ross, Alex right. Ross's love of, you know, that era of comics. You know, I mean, you know, wanting to do the yeah, sure, the thing, you know, because it because again, it's very specific. It's sort of like there's five people, you know, who would re, you know who would remember. I mean, probably we know, and we know there's five people who remember it, and we know ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. I think pretty much everybody that we we can we sit around with every now and then would go, yeah, well, I loved Woodgod. I remember that. Yeah, 
I mean, it was just so weird, too. It was so out of left field. Yeah, because you're kind of, like I said, you're coming out of, you know, Liberty Legion and going into, well, Monarch Starstalker, you know, you, you, you know, I mean, again, was also one of those where clearly that was, that is a creator vision, you know, and I mean, and, and again, and I am very happy that they yes. gave Howard Shaken, who, uh, extremely talented man, that they gave him, you know, they said, hey, keep doing what you're doing. I went down this rabbit hole recently for with a couple of different things, uh, but I realized, speaking of Howard Shaken, there's just enough Dominic Fortune stories to get a 200-page collected edition out of it. You mean a Domnibus? A Domnibus, yes. <laughs> uh, it's weird. It's like written by six different people, but it is definitely enough material. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the stories he didn't do. I mean, there's like a, there's a great... Oh, I'm just talking about stuff that he drew. Oh, that he drew. Yeah, because there were stories in the Color Hulk comic, yep. and there were a couple of black and white stories in the back of like a Punisher story, you know, Marvel preview or Marvel Super Action. Marvel Super Action. Oh, yeah, no, that's me. where I, I remember Dominic Fortune from. And then there was, but they also did like revisit Dominic Fortune in. Like, yeah, eventually he becomes like um, the 1950s Avengers or whatever that is. That, Howard did draw, but he's just like um, you know, supporting character, not really. Yeah. No, but someone, I think David Michelini or somebody was using him in in Spider Man too. Oh yeah, yeah. Or Marvel Team Up. I remember like a Kerry Gamble drawn Dominic Old Man Dominic Fortune story. Yeah, or two. But would God we hardly knew ye, Father? You know, Father. You know, it scream. What's funny, though, is one of the things that I remembered so clearly from this issue uh-huh. is not in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what is there it? Was oh a, um, and maybe it was in Defenders or maybe it's in uh, maybe it's, it might be in the Jack of um, isn't there like a Jack of Hearts one shot, too, that Giffen does later. I would swear I remember this this scene with like a jackknife truck. And what what impressed me about it was he really just did this thing where he wound up, you know, using the truck, you know, just the way he does the interesting panel layouts where everything isn't like, you know, panel grid and there'll be a panel that's like across the top. But it was something where and he used like a a long you know, tractor trailer and just the perspective. It just took up the whole page. It was like really cinematic. And I was like, I I kept thinking I thought I thought I had this image of it. Would God like using the truck to knock the guys out of the sky and he didn't so it's like so jack of hearts jack of hearts first shows up in deadly hands of kung fu number 22 right so if your memory is in color (laughs) no it wasn't the first there is a but there is a marvel premiere um jack of hearts issue i think oh i wouldn't be surprised you know what was interesting i thought what was really weird looking up doing some of the research on this okay marvel team up on marvel universe is like super spotty and for some reason, yes. they had issue. They had the first issue of no, they had the second issue of the Mar, of the Hulk Wood God issue team up, but they didn't have the first right. part of it. It made me think that they weren't using the stuff from their Marvel team up restorations, but maybe they were using Warlock because I feel like if there was a Warlock omnibus, those two issues would go yeah. up in that. Yeah, the same for the only thing from Marvel preview number seven that's online is that story with Rocky. Oh, with the sword and the star. Yeah. That doesn't have the Satana story. No. Yeah. And it doesn't have 
chapter one of that story. But all this stuff has been put in omnibuses. I don't know what I don't know what they're because like they did a whole like Marvel seventies horror that collected all the, oh, yeah. the 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 black and white, you know, the Man Thing stories and the Satana stories. And I thought there's a whole book of them. So they've been processed, mm. and usually that's what leads to stuff. You know, so that's always interesting. For sure, Marvel Premiere Forty Four was Jack of Hearts. Keith Giffen and this, yeah, it does say Keith Giffen art with a Mike Zek cover though. That's interesting. There you go. Oh well, it's fun talking about Wood God, and I uh, look forward to seeing that Monarch Starstalker one of these days. If you find it for me, that would be awesome. I, I will find that. Thank you so much. So, okay, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.